0: Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and we're continuing today our series on immigration, a human story. And I'm delighted to welcome to the program Elket Rodriguez, uh, who is an immigrant and refugee advocacy and mission specialist uh, serving down on the border, the uh, Texas-U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and Fellowship Southwest. Uh, Elkett, so glad to have you with us.
1: No, uh, it's an honor for me to be here with you, Pastor. Uh, Like I said before, I've read a lot about you. I've heard some of your sermons, and so it is my honor to be here with you
0: this time. Well, thank you very much. So uh, this is a, a challenge that we have as a nation, it's a challenge we have as people of faith, of course, too, as we think about this work. Uh, And you work for uh, these religiously-based organizations, Uh, one of them, uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, obviously a Baptist group, the other a a broader ecumenical uh, Christian group, Fellowship Southwest, uh, that really specializes in working on the border. Uh, but I, I'd like to begin by uh, asking you about your own story. Tell us about uh, the Rodriguez family and about you and how you came to be where you are and doing what you're doing.
1: Well, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll try to be short. <laughs> no. Um, so I've always had this call to, uh, I know, I always knew that I had a call to ministry, right? Um, and so I worked in Puerto Rico. I'm a Puerto Rican myself. I was born and raised in Puerto Puerto Rico. My whole family was born and raised in Puerto Rico. My wife is too, uh, my children as well. And so uh, when I was in Puerto Rico, uh, I started, I had a call to ministry, but I, I felt like God was, o- was opening uh, opportunities for me to work professionally. So I became an attorney. Uh, I worked as a child abuse prosecutor. Um and at the same time, I became a legislative assistant assistant in the in the Puerto Rico's uh, legislature. Just to make the long story short, um, I don't know if you remember the Hurricane Maria.
0: Oh yes, in 2017.
1: Yes. Well, I was there, and, and so I experienced how uh, a beautiful island became this very. Um, I mean, I've never seen my island the way I saw it that day Yes. Uh, after the hurricane. And so I was praying to God, saying, where should I go next? Um, and long story short, um, I started feeling this call to come to the United States, which was, uh, which, which was in the works, let's say, months before her, the hurricane hit. Um, but my wife and I, we were very, uh, I would say, um, not in the position of moving. Uh, obviously when you live 15, um, minutes from a lot of beaches, <laughs> you're not, uh, right. you don't want to move. Right. But, um, after the hurricane, I, I, I prayed to God and I started, uh, moving down that path. I felt that call. My wife was in it with me. So I told God, you know what, if you want me, if we feel like you're calling us to the States and you're calling us to Texas. Uh, you're going to have to provide a job very quick. Um, and lo and behold, I had a job uh, two weeks after, the weekend, <laughs> or a month after. The and so I came to the States. Uh, I, uh, I went to the city of Midland, Texas. Uh, that's where uh, I, I ended up. I became a CPS, a child protective services investigator. And I used to visit, uh, local church which was first baptist church in midland i started a spanish sunday school spanish class there because i felt god was opening that opportunity uh, to serve the community and well eventually an opportunity opened up in harlingen texas where i'm right now uh to become an immigration attorney Um, Mm -hmm but i always had that ministerial background so every time okay. i met a client it wasn't like i'm going to take your case and that's it we're we're going to have a transactional relationship right so it was always a relational relationship okay um, and so that's how all this happened and and so there was an opportunity to work for cbf and fellowship southwest as, as um, well you know
0: this raises an interesting uh, point that I wanted to get to later, but let's just start uh, talking about it now because Hurricane Maria was the product of uh, what I think most people would acknowledge is uh, climate change. Uh, That yes, we've always had hurricanes, but Maria was one of the most most devastating and unusual hurricanes uh, to have hit uh, the Caribbean. And, uh, and so it created for you uh, a moment to evaluate whether you would stay where you were or migrate. Uh, so uh, now I think many people do not understand that the same thing is happening in Central America, right? So uh, global warming, climate change has created conditions under which people have now said all right, I can't stay here any longer, I need to move. And that migration is a product in part of many factors we'll get to in a little while. But one of them is climate. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that for those of us who are in uh, the United States and who, yes, we experience some of these uh, different uh, changes in season and extreme weather, but this is different in Central America, isn't it?
1: it is different and i'll i'll answer that question with a quick story um uh so here in harlingen in, in harlingen's airport in the air, in harlingen's airport the valley international airport uh, there's a ministry called the house of love and justice uh, that's ran by a friend of mine and a dear colleague called Eddie bernal and so what we do is whenever migrants are uh, left, or, uh, left there or dropped there and they don't know how to navigate the whole uh, system. We go out there and we talk to them, right? Um, and we try to shelter them until you know the, their plane comes up, and we feed them and all that. So, one of the, I would say, we are seeing a lot of migrants, men with children and families, that are coming because climate change is totally changing the whole dynamics about agriculture in their home, com- in their home country. So there was this Guatemalan who uh, was dropped in the Harlingen airport, and as I started asking him the questions uh, about why he came here and why he was at the border, one of the things that really struck me is the fact that he used, he started by saying, "So before I knew where the, that I would have I would have two harvests during the during the year to sell my uh, my fruits and my products now." It's just one, and last the past two years, it's been zero. Oh So climate change is really creating a very difficult situation for agricultural workers in Central America. What's interesting is that those safe agricultural workers then don't have anything to provide for their families. and so cartels showed up show up and say, "You know what? you can work for us. It. But it's difficult to say no to them. Because if you say no to them, then they're going to go against you, your family and and things like that. So people ask me all the time, are they coming because of their fleeing violence or are they coming because of climate change? Or are they coming because there's a corrupt government? Well, these circumstances are all right now becoming happening together. Okay. so that's a normal. So this is not just one man. I've seen, uh, let's say. This is becoming a regular pattern, and this is a normal story about, uh, uh, that can give you a a really uh, picture of what's happening right now in Central America.
0: So I think people would be interested in knowing what your daily work experience is. Uh, You you are um, an attorney, you're a minister, you're an advocate uh, at the border. Uh, for immigrants and refugees. And so what does that sort of daily rhythm look like? What's what's the work you do and how do you do it? So it's a little bit of each
1: of the things of advocacy, ministry and uh, okay. attorney. So I, on a regular day, I can have consults. Um, I can take on a consult from a migrant. Um, I can take on consults from one of our border pastors that uh, that composes or comprises the Fellowship Southwest uh, Immigrant Relief Ministry uh, regarding shifting immigration policies, especially at the border. Um, Then I would go on in different uh, and represent CPF and Fellowship Southwest in different meetings with coalitions, national and regional coalitions about. How we're going to advocate for immigrants and how we're going to protect immigrants in the in the midst of midst of all these different uh, uh, policy changes and there's a little bit of ministry as well. Uh, I get phone calls from uh, migrants who really the the consults become uh, therapies in a sense. Uh, because there are times when the the only thing they need is someone that can listen to them. And and this and and I turn all of these uh, things that I do in my life, all of these tasks, normally I turn them into articles. Why? Because I don't really believe that I'm a better, I'm a good advocate. The best advocate is the migrant itself, is the uh-huh. asylum seeker itself. So I want people to know their stories, to know what they're going through because I think that their voices need to be lift, lifted up.
0: Well, to that end, you have written several articles and uh, I'm happy to post them with this, uh, this uh, uh, podcast uh, for other people to read, but I do think that it would be helpful to clip off some of the points that you've made, at least in one of these pieces, uh, that you've really tried to expose some of the truths about the Mexico-US border and the reality there because there's a lot of misinformation. There are a lot of myths about that. Uh, the first would be uh, <clears throat> that, that you assert at least that most migrants do not want to leave their own home countries. Yes, yes. I mean, that's, uh, that's where I would start
1: uh, with, the, with the myths, right? Um, we're seeing that right now in the U.S. Who wants to leave their home to work in an office if they can work from their own, from their own homes? I mean, yeah, right. We're seeing that in our micro, yeah. in our micro reality. Right. Migrants do not want to leave their countries because they want to. They are forced to leave their countries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if you ask them. If things were good in your country, if you had a government that protects you, if you did not have cartels, if you could feed your own, fa- your own family, would you be there? They would say yes. They're not looking for the $100,000 job. They're just trying to survive.
0: Okay. All right. So that, you, you cover that next in a point in, in this piece, that the, the reasons uh, why people flee, persecution, corruption, government collapse economic depression, criminal organizations, and and global warming. Uh, But but let's talk about the numbers of people who are coming. Uh, You you say in this piece also, the border is not open, but it is not closed either. Okay, that's talking out of both sides of your mouth, it it sounds like, right? And many people, I think, uh, coming from their own political point of view, uh, want to emphasize one thing over the other, and you're trying to say both things. Explain that. Oh, perfect. Um, I'll
1: try to explain that as, as quick as I can. So, no, right now the government is implementing this policy that's uh, it has been dubbed Title 42, which actually uh, summarily expels migrants back to Mexico. Um, and so, and they do it in a very quick fashion. Now, I would say that the vast majority of asylum seekers that try to come through the border are going to be expelled through Title 42 to, to Mexico, but the government always has discretion. Uh, immigration officials can uh, use their discretion to allow migrants to come in, and so ever since uh, the Biden administration came in, one of the things that uh, was quickly that quickly changed about the, the way we implemented Title 42 was we started allowing for unaccompanied migrant children to enter the United States. Uh, before you could see a five-year-old child uh, being returned to Mexico uh, and and being returned from one port of entry. I mean, the, the child would come through one port of entry and you would return it through another port of oh entry, which, which created a problem, a real problem and humanitarian issue, and I would say, it's very difficult to talk about it, but you're talking about sometimes two cartels. One cartel that controls this uh, turf, and you're returning that person to no. another territory. And so we don't, we didn't know what would happen to. Uh, we don't know what what happened to, to those children. So one of the first things that happened was I'm going to allow unaccompanied migrant children. Second thing, uh, the United, Second thing that happened is that. Um, more immigration officials started using their discretion to also allow what they call allowed into the United States what they called um, vulnerable cases. My, the majority of them are women with children. Women with children that are going to be very they're going to be if they were to be expelled, they would be in a very difficult position to uh, protect themselves in northern Mexico, and they would be. Easy prey for cartels. And so that was a shift in the way uh, our immigration uh, policies began, be, began being implemented after the Biden administration. So, what you're seeing right now is more migrants being allowed to come in to continue their asylum claims, their asylum cases in the United States if they are vulnerable and more unaccompanied migrant children being allowed to come in, but still Title 42 is being implemented all across the board. And I hope that gives you a, a little bit of
0: perspective. It does. Uh, Can you clarify Title 42 uh, and the remain in Mexico policy? Is that the same thing or are those two different things? No,
1: th- those are two different policies. Okay. So the remain in Mexico, it's what's right now being uh, discussed in court. <laughs> and at the same time being struck down which is kind of difficult to explain but remaining Mexico was implemented in 2019 which is what we call MPP or Migrant Protection Protocols this policy what, what it did is migrants uh, asylum seekers try to come in and so they were forced to remain in Mexico while their cases were being uh, attended to in immigration court and so is when the Biden administration came in, they stayed away with that policy. And so right now it is not being implemented. What happened is that Texas and Missouri took a case to federal court uh, about some months ago. And so they won the case and the court, a Texas court ordered, I mean, federal judge, Texas ordered for MPP or, my, or the remaining Mexico policy to be re-implemented. They ordered the administration to do that. Now, here's the thing. The administration said they would re- restart MPP or remaining Mexico uh, by mid-November. But the issue is that Mexico has not agreed still to the implementation of that policy. Remind, have in mind that this is not a policy that the, uni- the US can unilater- unilaterally implement. So right now uh, we are in that we're waiting for Mexico to see where they are, and so at the same time, which is interesting, the administration last week uh, uh, issued a memorandum to strike down MPP, and you are saying what they're trying to implement it, but at the same time, same time they're trying to. Uh, take it down or eliminate it well they've been ordered to implement it because it was the, the memorandum was not uh, sufficient right so they're doing a new memorandum to take it to take it out so they're trying to comply with an order while at the same time trying to strike down mpp but it has not restarted yet we're yet to see what mexico will say in the next probably one or two weeks
0: okay so People think that there is um, a, a lot of violence at the border. Uh, in fact, sometimes you'll hear the language of the border is a war zone. That's not your experience, though, right? So tell us tell us more about what is it like at the border. So I live at the
1: border, <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> which
1: is interesting. I live in Harlingen, which is 30 minutes from Matamoros, uh, Mexico, Brownsville, Texas, and 30 minutes from McAllen, Reynosa. Uh, Mexico, I mean, that border, um, in reality, when you talk to families who live in the US, who, from Mexican descent, and when you talk to Mexicans on the other side, there is a fairly common, uh, I would say, sentence that they use or phrase, which is, I did not cross the border the border crossed me, ah. and and you could see the back and forth, uh, families that that say, well, I have a cousin on the other side of the border, and people who say, well, I have family on the on the on the other side of the U.S. border, and so that dynamic is fairly common. Um, if you, the best place that can give you a, a like a snapshot of what I'm trying to explain out of all the places in the U.S., is Juarez, Ciudad Juarez, and El Paso. Why? Yeah. Yeah. If you can talk about a place that looks like one city, yes, it's Juarez, El Paso. And yeah. Juarez is, is close to El Paso, and I think El Paso is closer to Juarez than they are to their neighbors in Mexico and in the U.S. They're like an island by themselves. Yeah. so right. there is right. a great sense of community and when things happen in el paso and you can see it in the ministry of Rosalio sosa uh, uh, people from juarez would come and help and it's the same thing on the other side when things happen on the juarez side people from el paso will go there and help because there is a strong sense of community whether mexico or the u.s exists or don't exist we, El Paso can always rely on Juarez and Juarez can rely on El Paso. So it's not a war zone at all. There is a lot of community and there's a lot of families that are, uh, that have relationships from either side from the, of the border.
0: So that, that leads, when you talk about helping one another and making the most of this on both sides of the border, uh, part of your work is in... Dealing with specific cases, with policy, with bringing coalitions together, but part of it is also uh, just in, in terms of meeting human needs and uh, and, and helping that. I've, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the Commodore Baraka uh, Ministry in Matamoros. Explain that feeding program and and how that works, and uh, just humanize this whole thing for us a little bit.
1: Well, I. I, if there's one place that would show you how God multiplies food, besides the bread uh, uh, and the fishes in the Bible, it would be, uh, it would be Comedor Beraca. So Comedor Beraca is um, led by two members of Iglesia Valle de Beraca. They're retired. They used to own a restaurant, right? They're probably in their 70s, 80s, um, this couple. And so they felt in their heart that they needed to help with the migrants that were uh, arriving in Matamoros, Mexico, because Comedor Veraca and Iglesia Valle de Veraca is in Matamoros, Mexico, just across Brownsville, Texas. And so they went up to the pastor and said, We can feed them. I mean, we, we ran a restaurant, right? We can wake up early and, and, and feed these migrants. And so what the pastor did, which is Pastor Eleuterio Gonzalez, uh, who is a partner of Fellowship Southwest, he gets the food, but then he gives them to this beautiful, lovely, to uh, this beautiful and lovely uh, a couple, and they start cooking. I'll tell you, like at five, at six, they call on other women and men from the church, so they and they cook very early, so that they can feed sometimes hundreds and even thousands. Of migrants who are just uh, expelled from Title Forty Two, as we were talking, and they don't have anywhere to eat, they don't have anywhere to go, so they walk around the whole city of Matamoros, which is a big, big city, uh, just providing them with food. And I'll tell you, I've never seen more lovely people. Uh, and uh, I remember talking to to the sister and uh, and telling her, I mean, I see you. That I saw her like at three. O'clock, the, way, the day I went to Comedor Beraka and I, and I said, "Is it?" I mean, you look tired. And she said, yeah, I'm tired. But you know what? I love it. I'm doing this for the Lord. And he gives me the strength I need to do this. And so she does this pretty much every day. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and she's so happy about it and, and so full of life. And she even, her husband told me, this is what gives me energy. And so when you see those stories, they completely change your 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 mind and your perspective. They could be saying they're not my problem. I'm not going to do anything. But even in their with their age, <laughs> uh, they still find the energies, and God gives them the energy to serve. And that's what really fit. Uh, that's what
0: really fills their hearts. Well, th- that's a, a beautiful transition to the last thing I want to ask you about. Then, and that is. You know, you, you work uh, along the whole continuum of charity to justice, right? <laughs> From meeting an immediate need to addressing the root causes and to uh, trying to change the way uh, people's lives are affected in this interim period. and uh, And yet you're also calling on people of faith to help in some way, to be partners in some way. So could you give us two or three things that people who might be listening or watching this uh, podcast uh, and saying, what could I do? Uh, what could they do, Elke? Uh, that uh, you would say, here's where you can, can be part.
1: Yeah, I would, normally this is the last one, but I would put it first. It is advocate, advocate for immigrants. Right now, uh, what immigrants need is for Christians actually, they say it like that, for Christians to be our boys in the United States. We have a broken immigration system that needs to be fixed. It does not make any sense for anyone. I would say the only people that profit of, of this system are detention centers. So we have we yeah, it's true. We have a employment, we have a we don't have enough workers yet we're not allowing immigrants to come in. We don't, people, uh, we're getting older, there's not enough children uh, being born, and yet we're telling immigrants not to come in. So our high-tech employers are looking for workers, and we're not giving them that. So it does not make any sense, not just for immigrants, and uh, it doesn't make any sense for anyone. And so we need to sit down and fix the system. And so Christians can be a voice to that. We have uh, Matthew 25. We're called to welcome uh, the stranger and we're called to love them. And so that's the first thing I can do. You can call on your senator. You can call on your representative and say, my faith calls me for you to, to ask you, to, to urge you to fix this issue. And so that's the first. Second thing I think I, churches can do is donate. Donate to Fellowship Southwest's work and the work of these border pastors. Donate to uh, CBF Global Missions uh, who have a steady presence uh, or who will have a steady presence at the border moving forward. And the third thing, just pray. I mean, every time I talk to uh, a migrant or a border pastor that's doing this work, what they want is for people to pray for them. Um, okay. To pray for them, and finally, I would add one more thing, which is, if you have the opportunity of visiting one of, of visiting the border and visiting visiting one of uh, Fellowship Southwest's uh, border pastors who are working with migrants in northern Mexico, just go ahead and do it. I'm promise I'll promise you it will change your life.
0: Wonderful. Well. Uh, we we can make that happen, and if people are interested in knowing how, uh, they can contact us uh, at uh, Faith Commons, and we'll be very happy to uh, hook you up. You can you can contact us at info at faithcommons.org, and we'll get back to you about um, how you can connect to a border trip. Uh, I do want to say, too, that while Christians are being urged to do this, and Elket is a, a Christian minister and working in Christian organizations, uh, people of all faiths are invited to do the same. And we have many uh, people who watch this bro- program and, and follow us um, on the um, uh, podcast that also want to interact in different ways. And so uh, feel free to do that. Elkett, thank you so much for all the work you do and for uh, the challenge of this day that you are rising to and challenging us to do the same.
1: Oh, thank you, Pastor. And
0: thank you for uh, uh,
1: lifting up the voices of migrants and and be concerned about them. That shows the heart that God has put in you and your church. And that is great, Pastor.
0: Thank you you so much. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.